Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it! He got it! Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time! He got it! joined as always by <laughs> it happened max i got my nickname Darth Nash. <laughs> you can't really give yourself a nickname so uh i've been waiting for one to organically happen and uh I think you coined this first, actually. Cole threw it out again the other day, but I think you get the credit for for the first mention of Darth Nash previously, Max. I did initially uh, come up with this, and I, you know, I I don't know if I'm a hack or not, but uh, the guy gave me my name's a hack, so you know, to the extent I'm not a hack, I guess you got a better namer. <laughs> I love the setup there, and uh, never a dull week as Suns fans, Max, and uh, they've given us plenty to talk about again this episode. Yeah, we were planning on having a playoff focus and draft focus episode. Uh, we're still going to do one of those things. We're going to continue our weekly draft segment with Brandon from AZ Sports Zone. Going to talk about Darius Garland, Grant Williams, and Romeo Langford. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we get into that, David, the Suns hired a new head coach. They did, Max. I'm, I'm happy to, to jump back into another episode so soon, both for, for that reason and, and all the positive feedback we got last week on... Uh, I guess my rant initially on Igor and then uh, Ali joining us for the draft stuff. So as you said, very happy that we can talk Monty to begin with, but then keep the the draft theme later on in the episode because people seem to really enjoy that. But uh, lots of news this week, which is where we normally touch on it up the top of the episode here, Max. So I'll give you a quick timeline of the week since our last episode for, for both you and the listeners as a bit of a recap here. So... Monday the 29th, I think Mark Stein confirmed that Nelson was leaving the franchise, Max, and then also dropped that Ricardo Foy from Gonzaga was also going to join the Suns in a developmental role. And then uh, the Suns officially announced that the day after on the Tuesday at the same time, talked about the Steward and Ixos partnerships. I'm not sure if I've pronounced that correctly. I think they're an Arizona business, but uh, not something I'm familiar with, Max. And then we got onto the coaching stuff. So Monty had already interviewed once, I believe, when we recorded last week. He got his second interview done. And then all the usual newsbreakers started fighting it out for reporting the news first. So we got nothing after those Portland interviews, as we mentioned last time. No surprise there. I think they were a bit of a formality, Max. And then the Suns lined up that second interview. Uh, Stein on Wednesday, I believe it was, US time, uh, put out his tweet about rumblings of Monty joining the Suns, and everyone got a little bit more excited about that. Uh, Wodge not to be outdone, that same night, I believe, was the one that dropped the news that Robert Sava had actually been in on the interview or conducted his own interview shortly after the second one with Monty. 
And then on Thursday, I believe, is when Gambo tweeted out that there was no current offer out to Monty just yet, and there were still more interviews with other candidates to do. And then last night happened, Max, or last night for me, today for you, and probably most of our listeners in the US, uh, the news broke. I'm not sure who actually got it first, Max. I haven't looked at that first. I, I was so asleep. So I think it was Shams, but I literally got them almost simultaneously on my phone around 8.30 Phoenix time. All right. Well, it was Stein and Wodge early on, and then I guess Shams has, has jumped in and trumped both of them on the official news. And then it wasn't long until the Suns made it official with their own announcement and then threw in the practice facility news as well. So as I said, there's... A hell of a lot of news to cover this week, but the the main stuff is the hiring of Monty Williams, and you've probably had a a little bit more time to digest it than me, so uh, with all the time I took up last week, Max, we should um, jump into your thoughts first, I think. Yeah, I have a pretty, what I think is kind of a nuanced and somewhat unique view of the Monty Williams hiring Cool. that uh, I want to share with you and, and get your reaction to, David, because... I know for a fact you're not going to agree with the, the conclusion of it, but I think you might agree with a lot of the premises leading up to it. Yep. So I'll go ahead and start. I've said all year on this podcast repeatedly that the Suns need a leader more than anything else. You have. That's what they're missing more than anything. Yep. Uh, and, you know, it's, it can't really come from a young player. It can come from a good seasoned player. Uh, they don't have any of those, at least not yet. Uh, they have a good player who's, you know, young, Booker. Really, nobody else is even a candidate. And, and while Booker showed some strides, I'd say, towards the end of the season, he's not he's not going to lead a team to the playoffs, you know, as a leader. Still 22 uh, years old, yeah, Obviously, as, Yeah. Uh, Igor, uh, as, as good as a technician as I think he is, and I think, you know, he's a rookie head coach. So maybe he would develop into more of that leadership type later on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think he's there yet. And, and again, as you pointed out a million times last week, the Suns should have probably known that and known what their roster was. Um, but, you know, it's an aside. Monty Williams, David, is a leader. He, he just is very obviously a leader. The, the way the players reacted to him, to, even to this signing, Bradley Beal was all pumped up about it. Uh, you know, Durant uh, praised it. Jared Dudley praised it. Kevin Durant's called Monty Williams one of the top five people he's ever known in his life, which is strong. Uh, this is just somebody who, even if he's not the best X's and O's guy, and listen, he wasn't before. It's been a little while since he was a head coach. He spent time as assistant coach. People get better, as we think Igor is going to get better. It would be unfair for us to say Monty Williams maybe hasn't gotten better. Yep. Uh, but, but really, to me, it's more important, and I think you made the best comparison with Mark Jackson last week, for the Suns to hire you know, their bridge coach, their guy who's going to set a culture here, and, and teach the players how to just be accountable for themselves. You know what I mean? They're just such obvious, a horrible culture here for the past forever. And it, it kind of feels like, and I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen by any means, but this feels like a step towards, you know, establishing that culture. And again, I, I don't want to have any of this sound like a negative take on Igor. I think Igor has a lot of potential as a head coach. I think he did a lot of good things here. I think his firing was unfair in a lot of ways. Although another thing is, I think that the fact that the Suns moved so quickly on Monty Williams to an extent justifies the timing. I think they knew this was probably going to be the case. They knew, felt pretty sure that Monty was going to be, you know, their guy. They also gave him a full five-year deal, 
It sounds like Sarver is really behind this. It's really the first time I think that the organization as a whole has really ever been behind anything. It kind of feels <laughs> like. I, I, David, let me ask you that part before I go into my final part that you're not going to like. Uh, do you, doesn't it kind of feel like the organization almost for the first time is like 100% on board all behind one thing? Everything seems very aligned right now, Max. And if anything, you could probably take it to another level and maybe it's... Uh, with the reports that we've had, perhaps it's the best chance we've ever had at Robert Sava taking a step back and letting a team, not just one individual, which is Jones, I guess, at the forefront, but letting a team take over the franchise and, and make the majority of the decisions. If you've been a Suns fan as long as you and I have, you should approach that with plenty of caution <laughs> and skepticism at the same time. But that doesn't mean that you can't at least be hopeful for that thing happening, Max. So yeah, I, I would 100% agree with that. Yeah, so he's yeah he's saying all the right things. We'll see where it goes, but it's at least nice to hear him uh, playing paying lip service to it. But uh, yeah, here, here's the take, David, and I don't you're not going to agree with this, and I'm going to try to couch it in the, in the best language I can. I I feel like the Suns franchise as a whole is in a healthier place right now than it was the day before it fired Igor, and it really has nothing to do with Igor as a person or as a coach. It has everything to do with just the way this franchise has bungled everything. The way that they just they didn't have the right leadership in place, and they hired a guy who was a rookie head coach who wasn't ready for the situation. It just it wasn't fair to him, as you pointed out a million times last week. So while we may look back on their careers, Igor and Montes, and 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 realize you know in twenty years that Igor was the better coach, I think that for me it's Monty Williams is the better coach for this team in the position it's in now and I think that I am happier that they're here than they than I was when they you know when the season ended you've got no faith in me Max <laughs> <laughs> no I think you were 100 right about everything you're saying about Eagle. no no I no I, I I'm saying I, I I don't necessarily disagree with the take okay. I think Whatever your opinion is on Igor, and we left, you know, specific discussion about Igor with the 44th episode last week, and as I said, not going to touch on him too much. He was definitely a scapegoat for the way that the organization was currently looking and, and approaching this offseason. So, I mean, not putting Monty up against Igor, I guess, um, in terms of who they are as coaches and and, you know, what they might bring in the future. But, you know, the number one priority is for everyone to be aligned here. And I think we kind of said it last week. If Jones felt like Eagle wasn't the guy going forward, then it's a gutsy and courageous but probably correct move to, you know, rip the Band-Aid and, and make that move rather than just giving him another 12 months for the sake of it. That doesn't mean that everything that happened before that wasn't wrong. And as I said, Eagle was a bit of a scapegoat for the way that the franchise was currently looking. But you need everyone in lockstep, Max. And, and as you touched on before, this is the first time in quite a while that that seems to be the case. Igor, if he stayed on, was always going to be, you know, the last GM's head coach, depending on how much you believe Jones was a part of that search to begin with. So here we are, we've, we've got a fresh start, approach with some caution, as I said, but, you know, also, probably the most important thing that you touched on is potentially Monty Williams is the right coach 
for right now. He's a different type of person. Mm-hmm. He's a different type of leader. And he's definitely a different type of coach. And I, I look forward to you know when the Suns start playing, whether we pick apart uh, the X's and O's of Monty like we did with Igor at times, particularly if he ends up with a, a similar roster to what Igor got. But, you know, he is the Mark Jackson here. He's got the... Uh, cachet, I guess, to get the guy's respect and attention on day one of training camp. He's not going to have to prove himself like Eagle was maybe potentially going to have to from day one and, and start behind the eight ball a little bit. And as you said, multiple people have already come out and praised the move. Um, I think that happened with Eagle last year as well in some circles too. So again, approach with caution a little yes, bit. Yes, but I'm going to interject real quick on that one because you're, you're right. That's true. But I think it's very important who came in and praised the hire, right? Yeah. When it was Igor, yeah. it was assistant coaches and coaches. Now it's players. And I think yeah. that's the key. Yep, and I guess if we look at Jones's reasons last year, uh, last week, sorry, for firing Igor, and uh, I guess what the aim of the team was when they hired Igor, they've just made a decision that you know Igor wasn't the right guy to bring the young guys along, rightly or wrongly. He was weirdly brought in to coach a team of veterans by the sounds of things, but they've decided that Monty's the guy going forward, and I really don't have too much more to say on it, Max. I recorded with the Locked On guys previously and probably gave some more extended thoughts on Monty, but yeah, I just, I don't disagree with you, to be honest. Um, I think overall, Jones is, is getting his chance to tear things down and, and start again, and, and this is the guy that he's identified as the one to go forward with, and um, you know, as I'm sure we'll, you'll, you might touch on to respond here, and we'll touch on in many, many pods going forward, hopefully over the next five years, Max. Uh, there's mm-hmm. many strengths to Monty Williams, the person, and also the coach. So, um, you know, this isn't a move backwards as far as I'm concerned, depending, you know, even though I, I feel strongly about Igor as a coach, I think um, they've identified and for the first time, you know, got what appears to be their first choice. Um, and I think, you know, probably to end, Max, I think we can, you know, put to bed... Uh, the idea that they just fired Igor with no plan going forward. I think all oh, yeah. the all the arrows, whether it was a, a definitive yes or not from Monty, I, I think there was a fair indication that he was going to be prepared to come to the Suns even before Igor was fired for them to have the courage to make that move. No, yeah, this timeline is starting to make more sense. They hired Jeff Bauer and, you know, who hired Monty Williams before in New Orleans and within days fired Igor, and then yep. all of a sudden we're after Monty. This all, listen, this, this all played out kind of as expected. I mean, it would have been a catastrophe had they not hired Monty Williams. Yes. The fact they did so, and so quickly. I said, that's another thing here, David, and we'll finish on this, and then I think you have a playoff thing you want to you wanna share with me. Sure. Uh, I think that to remove the names from the situation here at all, right? Just forget about who the coaches are. The fact that the Suns moved from someone who the previous regime hired, who didn't have the total faith of the current regime, sort of obviously, because they wouldn't commit to him, mm-hmm. to someone who they was their first choice, obviously, who they hired very quickly, and who they gave a five-year deal to, which they haven't done for anyone in Sarver's entire tenure, like just removing the names from this entirely, that just is a healthier thing. You know what I mean? 
It really is. And the irony of it, Max, is it, is it probably took the five-year deal to get Monty to sign at mm-hmm. least this quickly. Um, you know, there's obviously the Lakers job that he was up for. You know, we discussed last week, I think, that he could maybe wait it out and wait for maybe the Philly job or other playoff jobs to open up. But then that's a maybe and, and isn't the definitive yes that he has in front of him from the Suns right now. And yeah, the irony in all of that is the Suns kind of backed themselves into a corner here to begin with, but it's actually resulted in, you know, an outlook that looks far more stable and what the fan base wanted than, you know, maybe trying to get Monty to sign in a month's time, a three-year deal and lowball him and then run the risk of him walking away. So the, the kind of process that they've gone through here is in a way resulted in, you know, what we all think is the perfect outcome after you fight Igor. A hundred percent. It's so not the Suns. I think it's why we like it so much. Like even you, <laughs> the biggest Igor fan in the world is you have some positive feelings towards this because you're, you know, you've been dealing with this franchise from so poorly run for the past 15 years. And it seems like they finally just did something the way a competent franchise would do it. And it just feels good to have that happen for once. Yep. A hundred percent. I can't really add too much more on top of that, Max. All right, well, uh, let's move on then. So I guess we're both sort of positive, so listeners, that's fun. Uh, (laughs) Before we bring on uh, Brandon for the draft, and also before Did You Know, let's do a little playoff. Yeah, I just thought, Max, we we originally planned to do a a lot more playoff because we thought we'd just have the the recap of the coaching search and and not too much more to touch on here. But, you know, given we've got a little bit of time, I just thought I'd ask, you know, we're both keen observers of the playoffs and it might come up a little bit in our draft discussions a little bit later as well. But, you know, what's what's one big surprise and and one big disappointment for you so far, whether it's, you know, player-based or maybe something else? Surprise and disappointment. Um, the biggest surprise to me, uh, maybe this is some recency bias, but I don't think so because I think this is the most monumental thing that's happened in the playoffs so far. The way the Philadelphia 76ers played last night yep. was really frightening, to be honest. That's the word I use on Twitter. They showed to me the second highest upside of any team in the playoffs behind the Warriors. I, have, I've, I haven't seen a team reach that, that level mm-hmm. other than them. When they were their defense, I saw. I can't remember who said this on Twitter, so I apologize for not crediting the person. But they said it seemed like there were six people on the floor on defense making rotations. <laughs> That's how quickly they were getting out to everybody on Toronto. Yeah, and they just rendered Toronto worthless, especially when Kawhi wasn't playing. I don't know if you've seen the Kawhi on/off numbers, but it's yes, really, <laughs> wow. uh, it's not good. So, and man, it's really it really highlights the value of a guy like Jimmy Butler. Uh, just having somebody who can you can just go to first as a scorer. And, and who can kind of be the veteran leader on our team. Because remember Philadelphia last year against Boston, uh, they just got completely destroyed. Embiid and Simmons, they just weren't ready. Yeah. Uh, and just, I think Jimmy Butler has been the biggest difference. He's He's been awesome for them. Um, in terms of biggest disappointment, I, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with the second round here. I'll go with Houston. They yep. really just haven't put up the fight that a lot of us hoped and thought they could put up. There were, you know, it was sort of the trendy pick to pick Houston to beat Golden State in this series. I thought about doing it myself, but I wisely held back. I guess it's wise now. Uh, man, they just—they really haven't shown up for this. Uh, Chris Paul is not himself. Uh, James Harden is sort of uh, displaying all these stereotypes of playoff James Harden, which is unfortunate because I, I wish he wouldn't have that reputation, but he's sort of earning it. So, man, I hope when they go home tomorrow night for. Uh, Game three, they can kind of turn this around, but uh, so far to me, yeah, it's been disappointing. How about you? What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I really agree with you. I, I probably wouldn't throw anything new into the discussion other than doubling up on, on your points, really. The the biggest surprise is, is definitely Philadelphia for me, and that kind of adds some extra spice to uh, at least the east side of the playoff bracket going forward and, and who might come out of that for the finals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't think... I'm sure there's been someone in recent history, but I can't think of a team that's kind of been learning each other on the fly this late in the season after you know, some pretty monumental trades and, and trading some guys out too. So losing quite a bit of continuity and then, you know, Butler deciding he wants to be a, a completely different player in the playoffs than what he was in most of the regular season for the Sixers as well. So what I kind of saw as a negative in the first round of, you know, them kind of taking it in turn, so to speak, for who was going to step up and, and win a particular game, it may actually end up being a strength if they can tie it all together mm-hmm. and, and be dangerous from multiple spots. Like, if you've got a guy like Tobias Harris or or even JJ Redick, who's, who's you know, capable of having a massive game and being the focal point of the offense if he's hitting his outside shot, you know, they're just, whilst they're very thin, they're going to be extremely dangerous as rotations, you know, keep tightening up and yeah the disappointment is definitely Houston the you know all that ref stuff in the background kind of just really just put a sour note on the series before you know before it even really started because I think all that stuff came out after the first game from memory which has kind of just taken over the spotlight and Houston not being able to take one of either of those first two games has um, kept that one going in a, in a downhill spiral. As you said, if they can win the next one, maybe it gets a little spicier again. But yeah, that's definitely the biggest disappointment for me so far as well. I thought it was poetic that uh, after Houston, uh, other complaints came out after game one. We had game two, which is one of the like, the better officiated games I can remember. <laughs> yeah. Just got their asses kicked in it. <laughs> that was pretty poetic. Uh, and then on the Philly thing, I, this just kind of occurred to me, and I, I don't know if I'm sure someone else has made this point, but like, because you're right, you're talking about the coalescing of the team, and, and the key here is before the playoffs started, this team was really just a, a like a kind of like an all star team. Mm-hmm. No one really knew their roles, and they just you know they traded off and whatever. They've really, at least if last night's any indication, maybe we're just overreacting to one game. It's always possible. But it really feels like they've coalesced into a team with roles. They have their leader in Jimmy Butler, and that's the guy I guarantee you when the game's close, they're going to look to him. Yep. Embiid has sort of become their like superpower man. It's almost like a Nash Amari between a, a Butler and, and, uh, and Embiid. Not so much in how they play, but just sort of their roles. Yep. And then and then you have Simmons sort of like and and Harris sort of like in these like supporting roles. It, it, now that they've kind of figured out their best team and I think that's kind of the arrangement of it, it really really helps them compete and man, if they keep playing that defense the way they played last night, they're they're a real uh, contender to not only get to the finals, but you know, if if Golden State does their thing where they are lackadaisical and maybe have some injury problems, like actually give them a real run. Yeah, I agree. I can't remember who I saw say it, but you know, Simmons in particular playing a, a kind of Draymond type role in mm-hmm. really focusing more on his defense and then being more of a secondary playmaker for the team rather than everything running through him. I think that unlocks a hell of a lot of what you're talking about, uh, allowing Butler to take over more and and Embiid be the the focus of the offense as well. So yeah, a little Aussie shout out for Simmons there, I think kind of changing the course of the team a little bit through sacrificing a little bit, if anything. 
Yeah, definitely. And there's been a lot of uh, criticism of Ben Simmons for not being able or willing to take over at the end of games. Yep. But it says a lot for a young player if he's willing to defer because he knows it's for the better of the team. So if that's what's going on uh, towards this end, and, and that's where they all fall into their roles, and Ben Simmons is your third best player, uh, you uh, have a rosy outlook. Especially with a, a contract situation and decision coming up for him as yeah. well, Max. That doesn't happen all too often. No, it really doesn't. And uh, I'm, I'm still watching that one closely because I'm not sure he wants to be there long term. But we'll see. <laughs> uh, last thing I want to say is I really hope now that we're getting to get the uh, Philly-Milwaukee Eastern Conference Finals. Because, yes. oh my God, Giannis versus Embiid. Just please. <laughs> I need that so badly. Yeah, give it to us, please. Yep. All right, David, how about you uh, take us to Did You Know before we start our draft segment? Okay, Max, did you know we have recently witnessed one of the biggest turnarounds in a professional sportsman's career? Straight into a quiz for you this week, but because I know how much you love those. I'm going to read an excerpt from a book that uh, all the listeners should know by now I really love, and I want you to tell me who you think it is about. Okay. He is an intelligent and friendly young man, the product of a stable home life. He is immensely proud of his father, who runs a non-profit foundation in California. But there are concerns about him besides the pre-game noshing of greasy chicken fingers 14 minutes before the game. He doesn't work out in the weight room, believes that shooters can get too muscular, but his lack of strength is a problem. The Suns want him to do two things, catch and pass or catch and shoot but too often he catches and dribbles, a skill at which he is not adept. Every time D'Antoni, there's a little clue for you, tells him he's doing well, his play slacks off. And while he's quiet and generally a polite young man, he also has the knack of speaking up when he should remain silent. After a few losses during the season, he interrupted D'Antoni's post-game speech to offer up a few words of motivation. The coaches can never be sure what they're going to get out of him from one game to the next, partly because they consider him a poor preparation guy, which is borne out when Nash screams 17 seconds, let's go before the game, and he is still putting on his sneakers. Max, any ideas? Oh God, I feel like this should be obvious to me, but when you said the non-profit father thing, it just totally threw me off. Uh, I, David, just tell me, well, who is it? The person I am, of course, talking about is the Suns' new general manager, James uh, Jones. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's back from his playing days with the Suns, and the quote is from the Great Seven Seconds or Less book by Jack McCallum. With Jones making his first real big move recently as the full-time man in chain charge, sorry, it got me thinking back to the player I read about all those years ago in the book, Max. As you and the listeners will remember, Jones spent seasons three and four with the Suns at age 25 and 26, just a small part of his 14-year career in the NBA. The book paints a far different picture of the guy they now call Champ, who went on to win three NBA titles and play in seven straight NBA finals, Max. I say play, but Jones was very much a bit part player through that period, but one that kept was kept around because of his leadership and his value as a teammate. A few quick Jones fun facts to end Did You Know This Week Now, Max. Jones shot the same percentage from the field and three when his career was all said and done. That was 1.1 three-pointers made from 2.7 attempts and 1.7 from the field from 4.2 overall, both at 40.1%. 
Jones wore 33 to start his career and number one to end it. But he also wore number 22 in Phoenix Max, which of course is the same number as DeAndre Ayton right now. In 2011, Jones took out the three-point comp at All-Star Weekend, just like our guy Devin Booker managed to do early in his career. And with that, he also shares another current record with Devin Booker 2 Max. Shout out to our buddy Chris Hansen, who was the first to alert me of this fact about Devin Booker, who, which is that he can't hit more than six threes in a game. Well, Jones couldn't either. In five separate NBA seasons, Max Jones hit six made threes, but never got to the elusive number seven. Max, maybe Jones can get a good enough team around Booker, and they can break that curse for him as a collective. For now, though, I'm excited to jump into some prospects with our guest, as you mentioned before, and I believe at least one of them can really shoot the basketball, Max. All right, let's get into our draft stuff. Uh, just another primer on the format. Each week, we're going to ask uh, a guest about, first about the big three prospects, Zion, RJ, and John Morant, uh, just to get their quick takes on them. But then we're going to go into a deep dive on some of the other lottery guys. This week, we're going to do Darius Garland, Grant Williams, and Romeo Langford with Brandon from AZ Sport Zone. Many of you probably follow him at AZ Sport Zone on Twitter. He's an awesome Arizona sports account. The only problem with him is that he didn't give us a Sunny Award. Uh, but despite that, welcome to the show, Brandon. How you doing? Hey, man. You guys got the Zony. That's I think it's more prestigious, personally. But uh, what's up, guys? I'm, I'm excited to be here and big fan of your guys' podcast. And you guys had a great episode last week with Ali, so uh, I'm just excited to add on to that. And I'll uh, only be referring to you as Zona from now on, just to keep the, the nicknames uh, all good between the three of us, so... Uh, I'll throw a few more nicknames in for these prospects as well. But uh, Zona, I am very excited to have you on. We've been trying to line this up, one up for a while, Max. And uh, as I said at the top, very excited to jump into another one of these pods, which everyone seems to enjoy. Yes, but before we get into the actual draft part, I like to ask all guests we have on about draft stuff, about their sort of their overall draft philosophies. Uh, obviously, we're all looking for talent, athleticism, being good at basketball, things like that. But Brandon, what, what do you what do you see as the things about your evaluation strategy that differentiate you from other evaluators? Yeah, so value is king. Uh, every draft is different, and for me, like in this particular draft, when scouting players, um, I like to look at each player from like a team perspective more so than individualistic, um, unless we're talking about like a generational type talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the reason for this is it's a more realistic outlook when ranking players value on each team. Like I'm big on fit, not from like a positional need or anything like that, but just like a culture standpoint. Yep. And uh, what, what type of role that player will assume on a particular team. Uh, because in order to get the most value like out of your pick, you need to optimize that player and put them in a position to succeed. So uh, if you look at like some traditional teams like the Spurs, they're excellent at that. And, uh, you know, more recently the Celtics – the Nets and Pacers have done a nice job of this strategy as well. And the Suns, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and pretty key with it, with probably all three of these prospects uh, that we're going to discuss in a minute as well. I think that's a, a very valuable thing uh, to throw in. I, I'm glad you mentioned the Spurs there because I was having a, a conversation with someone last night about Kawhi Leonard and, and how things may have differed if he 
didn't end up in San Antonio. So yeah, I think fit from a positional standpoint, I, I'm with you. I don't think it matters as much, particularly when you're uh, ranking big boards and such. But uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree with Zona here, Max, on uh, taking in the, the fit of a team in particular with when we look at some of these guys. Yeah, me too, especially when you're talking about the uh, later on guys like we're going to get to. But we're going to start with some guys who uh, maybe fit isn't as big of a question, especially the first guy we're going to talk <laughs> about, uh, Brandon, on Zion Williamson. Uh, the question we want to ask, because everyone with a brain, as I said last week, knows he's a great prospect, uh, the best prospect in this class. But what do you think his biggest weakness is? What does he need to work on the most to reach kind of what everyone wants him to reach in the NBA? Uh, so he's actually seventh on my big board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, uh, he's such a complete prospect that it sounds a little nitpicky to focus on some of the things I'll mention. But, uh, you know, I think sometimes in the half court, if he doesn't have like a head of steam or like momentum going towards the rim, he can struggle a little bit in tight spaces. Um, he gets bailed out by his like freakish athleticism and strength, and I think that'll continue to bail him out. But uh, it'll be interesting to monitor that against NBA size and length. Um, and then his three-point shooting, um, his release is a little predictable sometimes. Like, you can see it coming. Uh, and, like, I, I think for in order for him to become a star, or a superstar, I should say, uh, he's going to need to be able to keep the defense honest, which I think he'll be able to. Um, but either way, even if he's not an efficient three-point shooter, he'll still be a star. But, like, that's just kind of the one thing that will separate him from being an all-time great. I like that differentiation you made between stars and superstars because I think it's important. Like, yeah, is Zion going to be a top five player in the NBA? He's going to have to develop some things to be that. But to me, David, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. I kind of feel like Zion is like a guarantee, you know, health permitting to at least be on the all-star team multiple times. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And But I, I also think it's worth noting, I think Zion mentioned at first and then you've you've jumped on the back of it there max there, there's a significant difference between you know star in the form of i guess a all-star that makes a few all-star teams and a superstar that you know i guess ends up in the hall of fame and, and leads teams to championships and uh i guess that's where the line is for for zion right now is some of these nitpicky things as zona said up the top are really what we're talking about in terms of him becoming a superstar in the league and i love the bailout reference that you mentioned actually because uh we we haven't really touched on that just yet with this little segment with zion just yet and a lot of people do mention the fact that uh, you know, he makes some defensive mistakes, some defensive lapses, but he's able to, I guess, make up for them with his freak athleticism and, and bail himself out, so to speak. And it'll be interesting in the pros where everyone's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit quicker, Max, uh, whether he has that same ability to bail himself out all the time or whether he's going to need to focus a hell of a lot more on that end. Yep, that will be interesting to track. Although, because he's literally an X-Man, I expect him to be just fine. <laughs> uh, Brandon, let's move on to RJ Barrett. The question we're asking is, how do you see him as a fit with the Suns' core? You, you mentioned fit a lot of something you look at. What do you think about RJ's fit? So, I do like RJ as a prospect in general. Um, I think there's a lot to work with there. And uh, he's gotten a lot of, like, kind of hate from, like, some draft Twitter. And uh, I'm not as low on him as some other like sites I've seen and stuff like that. But um, I'll admit I'm not a huge fan of his fit in Phoenix. Uh, hmm. Like I think it could work, but mostly just because it creates uh, some headaches elsewhere in the roster. And uh, with us about to pay a bunch of money to Ubre and uh, committed to Mikhail going forward, it kind of 
uh, I don't want to say it locks you into like point book being a thing, but it kind of like starts to trend you in that direction. Yeah. Um, just from a logistical standpoint. So, so I want to jump in and ask you this then. So let's go ahead and bring Morant into this. I take it from the way you phrase that, that you probably like Morant more for the Suns than you like RJ for the Suns. Uh, if I'm assuming something that's not true, let me know. But I'd be interested to hear your take on that and maybe the reasons why. Yeah, so I'm a slight lean to Morant over uh, Barrett on the Suns. Um, but, like, I'm as you guys know, I, I've said many times in the past, I'm completely open to just trading the pick if it's not Zion for an established point guard. Um, that's that's kind of the train I'm on. But uh, if we're going to take Jaw or like a Garland, um, you know, I would like to sign like a veteran point guard to just kind of bridge the gap for him and ease him in. So, yeah, that's kind of where I am on that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, the fact that Bradley Beal praised our uh, hire of Monty Williams today uh, got me a little excited. Obviously, Bradley Beal is not a point guard, but I think that um, when you have a player of that, that caliber, you I mean, let's ask you that question then. And David, you too. You trade the number two pick for Bradley Beal, yes or no? I would. <laughs> uh, I think the Monty hire means that both Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal are coming to the Suns. Isn't that right, Max? <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> it's, it's either it's either that or Zion and Durant, one of the two. That's what I've been. Yeah, doing. so uh, all three. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> trade the number two pick for Bradley and then attach every other pick that we have to to create the cap space for Kevin Durant. But to ask to answer your, your question seriously, I, I would at this point in time and you know reserve the right to change my mind closer to the draft. But uh, yeah, if Bradley Beal was on the table for number two, I would definitely look at making that deal. As I said last week, I think Brandon Clark's second best prospect, and yes, I'm taking Bradley Beal on this team over Brandon <laughs> yeah. Clark. Uh, let's move on to Darius Garland, the first of our uh, guys we're going to highlight today. He's a 19-year-old freshman from Vanderbilt. Sort of. He played five games. <laughs> uh, he is 6'2 in shoes, 173 pounds with a 6'5 wingspan. He will be 20-year-old in January. David, where is he going in mocks right now? Uh, the Stepian have him 15. Red have him 5, Max. Uh, ESPN, last time I saw, had him 4. Bleacher Report had him eight. The Ringer currently have him six, I believe. Uh, Sam Vecini has him four. I will note after listening to Sam's podcast recently, Sam's current rankings are a mock draft rather than a big board, so don't go at Sam with any of these rankings, but he has four at the moment for Darius, and Yahoo has him number eight, Max. Brandon, this is your show. What do you think? Can you give us your, uh, your take. So, uh... I'm pretty high on Garland um, overall. If not for injury, I believe Garland would be considered a lock for a top five pick in this draft, um, especially with this draft class and the lack of star power there is. You know, I'm close to giving you guys a hot take of saying I would take him over Morant upright. And part <laughs> part of that is uh, just his, his off-ball movement is, is excellent. And uh, he played off-ball a lot growing up, so... He knows how to play off the ball, which is huge, especially from a spacing standpoint. He can hit threes. Um, he's a good catch and shoot uh, shooter, and you know that's that's the type of player you need next to Devin Booker because if you're not giving him room to operate, um, then you're just going to have more spacing issues. And I, I'm not sure, like I do believe in Morant's shot eventually, but it's not at the level of Garland's. I'm going to let David go first because I mostly agree with you. So I want to hear David's 
rebuttal and then I'll... And I'll uh, not so much of a rebuttal. I, lo- I love the point about the off-ball shooting, especially compared to Morant, because, yeah, as you noted earlier on his career, he wasn't really a natural point guard and, and played a lot off-ball and, and means that his kind of catch-and-shoot stuff from deep is kind of just as valuable as he's off the dribble stuff. And yeah, I think it, for me, it's, you know, Brandon Zona touched on this, Max, is um, it's just a real shame that he did get injured because, you know, similar to what I noted with Zion before the season started, you, you just kind of have to trust your instincts now with this guy. And I don't trust my instincts so much without being able to kind of see a little bit more at length from him. And it would have just been great to see him kind of play more than those four, four and a half games in college to uh, project some of these things out. But uh, the more I watch of Garland, the the better uh, I am becoming at trusting what he might be able to be in the NBA. And therefore, kind of the higher I'm, I'm getting on him, Max. And uh, I, I really want to love him because he's the, the kind of point guard that uh, I would normally... Um, you know, draw myself to. I'm just a, a little worried about the frame overall uh, for both sides of the ball, really. The, the finishing around the rim, there's not a lot of film and tape out there of him doing that well at any level, really. And and the defense as well. He's going to be a, a one-position defender in the NBA. The wingspan certainly helps there for him to at least have the tools to uh, you know, be good at that one position that he's going to be able to guard. But um, I've got my own hot take here. As you uh, watch tape of him, particularly the the shot, the the catch stuff, as as Zona mentioned, and the off to dribble stuff, I've found my nickname for him, Max. Oh, let's hear it. All right, he played high school and college, as we know, at Vanderbilt, which is in Tennessee. My nickname for Darius Garland right now, guys, is Steve Nashville. Okay. <laughs> oh man, that's fantastic. I, I can't. I can't wait for your big board of nicknames. That's complete. I want to hear how you explain that nickname, given the fact that Darius Garland doesn't like to pass. Here's the thing, Max. I think I reached out to you privately, and I was a little bit worried about the low release of his shot. But mm-hmm. as you kind of get into it, it's never really been a problem mm-hmm. for him at kind of high school level, or even that small amount of. AAU and college stuff and the uh, McDonald's or American game and pretty much anything I could find of Darius I watched and I watched that jump shot he shoots it in front of his face kind of directly behind his eyes like a certain Canadian I remember watching and he is very straight up and down on his jump shot very stiff very aligned uh, it's fluid. It's not rigidy. Don't get me wrong, but it's a guy you know that has a, a very technical jump shot and results in him being very good from deep, like a certain guy we're used to watching as well. So that is where that comparison and nickname comes from, guys. David, these are the times where I love you. That is perfect. <laughs> that that is what his jump shot looks like. Uh, man, well, you stole my thunder here because I was going to rave about this guy, but now you just called him Steve. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to top that. Um, th- th- here's the thing about Darius Garland. He's very much, to me, he's pretty boomer bust. Yeah. But I think you're betting on, I would bet on the boom with him because he has the most important skills you can have as a lead guard, which are the crazy shooting ability, unlimited range, off the ball movement, off the catch, off, off balance. That guy can shoot. Any anywhere on the court, at any time, which is the most important thing, and and the second thing, which is the thing that made Trey Young so dangerous, and I think there are some Trey Young comparisons with him, uh, you know, aside from the passing, which Trey Young was amazing at, and Darius Garland, you know, kind of, I guess he considers it to be beneath him, mm-hmm. kind of seems like, mm-hmm. um, but the handle, his handle is so good, yeah. 
It's incredible. He's going to enter the league as a one of the top ten handling uh, guards in the league, which is really really important. And not only does he have the handle, but he's able to shoot out of that handle. Yeah, which is just so important. Uh, he can change speeds. He really has all the scoring traits you want as a lead guard. Uh, but then again, we've alluded to it a few times. He doesn't pass. Uh, he has a negative assist turnover. Again, five games, but not good. Like that's not what you want out of a lead primary initiator. You can't have that. And I'm not sure whether that's going to be something that plagues him for the rest of his career, because I think his decision making as a scorer at, at times is pretty good. Although there also are times where his decision making as a scorer are bad, uh, especially around the rim and in floater range. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a shooter, I think it's good, and I, I I have hope for him in that area. But that does give me grave concerns, and that's why I call him a boomer bust prospect because I could see him just never really figuring that part of it out. As you said, David, probably a one position defender, but because of his wingspan and because he actually has shown a little bit of propensity to try on defense, at least a little bit, I, I think there's some hope that he won't be horrible there. Uh, ultimately, for me. Man, I, I, in this draft where I think there are so few star candidates, if I'm looking for a star, he's probably top three for me. But if, just generally, if I'm if I'm just drafting based on you know expected value, I, I think he'll be like four or five. But I do really really like him just because I think he has the things that you need to be literally like the most valuable initiator you can be. Yeah, let me let me throw this question yeah. at Zona Max because and. and touching on a lot of the stuff that that you just spoke about you know he's known to be i know you've delved into these guys a a great deal zona so i want to ask this question more you know with garland in particular because we don't have a lot of on-court stuff to to look at he's kind of known as a high character guy a good locker room guy uh fun to be around you know pretty coachable from everything that you read about him so you know obviously the injuries are concerned something i'm quite concerned about You, you never love drafting a guy that's coming off a, a knee injury, particularly as a guard. Um, the finishing's obviously a bit of a concern. And then as Max touched on, he, he's not quite a natural floor general just yet, but you know could hopefully mature into one. So how much does the, the character weigh into, I know you're high on him, so how much does that weigh into, I guess, uh, believing that some of these concerns that we currently have with him are, are going to be addressed and uh, therefore you, you would take the risk of, of taking him, say, top three or top five, as Max said? Yeah, I think it, it plays a huge factor in it um, because especially during the pre-draft process and all that, when he's doing interviews and just at the combine around all the executives, you know, uh, how you conduct yourself there goes a long way. Yeah. You can win teams over if you uh, really conduct yourself well. Mm-hmm. And he, he has that type of personality and um, he has the skills as well. Like Max, Max said it really well, just about how he can pretty much get wherever he wants on the floor. He just dances with the ball. Um, kind of like he, he definitely has the best handles in the draft, like by far. Um, reminds me a little bit of like Kyrie on that end, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, doesn't have anywhere near that finishing ability, like not even close. Like Kyrie's probably one of the best finishers in the game right now. And uh, so uh, he definitely needs to improve in that area for him to become a three level scorer. Uh, but yeah, there's just a lot to like there from just a, an upside perspective. All right, uh, let's move on to Grant Williams. He's a 20-year-old junior from the Tennessee Volunteers. He's listed at 6'7". Looks a little more like 6'5 to me. Uh, 241-pound forward, a wingspan about 6'11", what I've seen, and that seems about right. He'll be 21 in November. David, where's he going in mock drafts? Grant Williams is polarizing, Max. Uh, mm-hmm. The Stepian have him at 13. 
uh, Red, who Ali, our, our last week's guest, works for and writes for, have him currently as their number two prospect in the draft, Max. And then it gets pretty crazy from there. ESPN have him at 23. Bleacher Report have him at 25. The Ringer have him at 12. Uh, Sam Vecini has him at 27, again, as a mock rather than a big board. And Yahoo have him in the second round. And I just wanted to, I guess, wrap that up by saying uh, there seems to be a legit feeling that he may go back to college because of those rankings. So he's going to be one to really watch to see if he can rise his stocks in the general terms, Max. All right, well, hopefully we're not wasting our time here, but uh, Brandon, go ahead. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, so fun fact about uh, Grant Williams, by the way. Um, So he came into college at 260 pounds, shredded, uh, you know, 40, or not 40, like I think 25 pounds off his frame. So I really like that. I love his work ethic. Um, Pretty high on him. Like he's, he's really, he's the smartest player in this draft like super high IQ. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't do dumb shit. Like the Suns need more players that just don't mm-hmm. do dumb shit. Like, <laughs> you sound uh, like Max. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He's, he's just very high IQ. I'm, I'm pretty high on him. Um, in comparison to the consensus, like I, um, I definitely think he should declare and like, uh, he's going to be a lock for a lottery pick on my board. Um, I'm still trying to figure out where, but I think once you get past that, like the top 10 in this draft, you can kind of, uh, you can go a lot of directions, but uh, I'm super high on him. I just, I just love hard workers and people that improve every year. He's he's improved um, from his freshman to junior year in uh, points per game, efficiency from both the field and free throw line, um, assists per game, playmaking, just everything you want to see in a player. Like that that translates at the next level. So let me ask you this real quick before we go to David, because David is one of those haters who wants to kick him out of uh, the lottery. <laughs> but. Uh, what do you think about his upside? Because the upside is really the question here. And that's, that's, I mean, it's really a legitimate question everyone has about him. Yeah, so Williams' upside is a little bit limited, more than you'd like from someone you're looking at, you know, possibly in the top 20. But what he does have is the potential to become an elite role player. And just, you know, with his insane work ethic and high IQ, I think there's there's some room there. And if, his, if he starts hitting threes, um, then all of a sudden he just becomes – an ultra effective player that you can just kind of use as a versatile, strong forward in the playoffs. And just, uh, you know, you want to draft players in this range that will contribute to winning basketball. And, you know, it's not going to be too often that you're going to find a superstar in his range anyways. So I'm not too worried about the potential with where he's projected to go. Um, I think as long as he just keeps improving, um, there's there's a lot to work with there. Yeah, I, again, pretty much agree with all of that. As you alluded to, Max, I, I'm a little lower on him, although as you and I have discussed and, and Zona just mentioned before, I've got to get to a point of, of ranking these dudes at some point because I think, <laughs> I think I've got about 48 guys in the late lottery right now and no one before them, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm glad glad you mentioned the free throws there, Zona, because my nickname for Grant Williams is Mr. Charity, and that is because he was in the top 10 in the entire country, guys, for free throw attempts, and also the Tennessee Volunteers is probably the dumbest sports team name so I know of, so that, that lends itself to the, the Ch- Mr. Charity nickname there, but you know, for, for me, something like Grant Williams, someone like Grant Williams is you know a great guy... Uh, in the sense of 
you know, I love that we make these final calls on prospects like this while watching the NBA playoffs, Max, because Grant Williams is the kind of guy that would, you know, come to the fore in a playoff game and a playoff situation. As Zona said, extremely smart, probably the smartest guy in the draft if he stays in. I'm just low on the the lack of upside, I suppose, because he's a kind of below-the-rim athlete. You kind of watch him offensively in college, although he's very effective and very good at... It's kind of hard, at least for me, to see him having a role in the NBA doing that. I'll throw the question to you both. Max, you go first. Uh, PJ Tucker's obviously a great comp defensively, but if we're talking about his ups- upside sorry, and, and overall offense, what's a, what's a comp for him in, in the NBA right now where he'd be an effective offensive player? Uh, I actually think, well, are you talking if he doesn't develop a three-point shot? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go off the player he is now, the, the very effective player that he's been in college this season. What's really interesting about him is even without the three-point shot, he brings a lot of weird things in offense that are, like, valuable. Like, he's a really underrated passer. Yeah. He's actually, like, I think in the second half against Kansas, I think it was, he, like, really dissected them uh, as a passer, which is really interesting. Uh, so that kind of harkens to Draymond Green a little bit. Yep. Not as big as Draymond Green, obviously, but he sort of has that kind of thing to his game. But the other thing that's like really weird about him, and Sam Vecini and, and Cole Zwicker did a great job talking about this. He's really weirdly good at like getting his own shot in the post, like his little turnaround shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he actually can do that. And if you're asking me who like a six five fat guy who does that in the NBA <laughs> right now is, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I can answer that question. Fat's the wrong word. Stocky. Let's go with stocky. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. No one really does that. So that's that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I guess it could go both ways. He's a, he could be unique in the NBA, and that's why you you bank on him and, and take him that high. Or um, you know, he could be an outlier in, in the negative sense. But if particularly if he doesn't um, develop that jump shot, Zono is is there anyone that comes to mind for you as a, an overall comp for him for anyone listening that hasn't watched him too much? Um, Max like summed it up pretty perfectly. There's, there's really not a perfect comparison for him. Um, yeah. you know, I like the Draymond from like, uh, he's, he's like a small, he's like a mixture of like a Draymond and a PJ in a way, because he's like a more yeah. skilled PJ. Um, and I don't know, like for instance, he had like a 43 point game this year on 15, yeah. 15 shots. It was, uh, 23 for 23 from the, from the free throw line. So Mr. Charity is a great nickname for him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah probably the least talked about most efficient boring 43 point game like in the history of the ncaa and that kind of tells you everything you need to know about williams as a prospect <laughs> i'm going to be very interested to see where people have cam reddish versus where they have grant williams i think that's going to say a lot about like who you are as an evaluator because if, if you have reddish above him you're much more of like an athletic tools upside evaluator and if you have Grant Williams ahead of Reddish, you're much more of like a, this guy's already good at basketball. Just take the guy who's good at basketball kind of evaluate. This is, this is basically the podcast equivalent of uh, at me next time, Max. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I had that in mind, David. It's like me versus you. Like, I'm a Grant Williams guy. You're a Cam Reddish guy. See, I, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. It's just about if uh, debating, the, like, that's a good example. Williams versus Reddish. Uh, how confident are you as a team that you can help reddish unlock his full potential and if you're looking for someone to impact right away and just kind of develop in your own system then williams could be the fit so 
just kind of a preference or like an organizational preference. And that's, that's why I love Grant Williams over Cam Reddish for the Suns. I probably will yeah, have him yeah, flip, flip the other way in my final big board, unless something dramatic changes. But yeah, I, I mean, I've got written down in my notes. Uh, I'd love him with the Suns second pick or, or some sort of trade to, to trade up. If he keeps sliding down the first round of the draft and, and stays in the draft, but um, yeah, hard to see him, picked uh, in any kind of range at least for me that the Suns are going to be in even if they drop all the way to seventh in the lottery but Max you, you touched on that Sam and Cole pod which I listened to the other day as well they had a really interesting discussion about his weight and Zona mentioned it before he's already dropped quite a bit of weight to get to what he currently is and and still looks fat as you said earlier in the podcast but you know do you do you lean into that when he gets to the NBA do you you keep that bulk on keep that PJ Tucker um, Draymond Green type role for Grant Williams or I think as Cole and Sam were kind of alluding to I think some teams might be tempted to to shred it even further and see if that's a way to find some of that untapped potential particularly on offense I shouldn't have said fat <laughs> I should have said stocky to start he ain't fat he's just bigger yeah um, but no I don't think I would do that at all I think that's a mistake You're, why would you try to turn him to a shooting guard He's not a shooting guard. If he's 6'5 and skinny, he's a shooting guard. Yep. I think you, you embrace what he is. He's weird. He's different. I think that's a good thing. Um, I mean, you want him to be in shape, obviously, because as Cole and Sam pointed out a lot, he needs to be able to you know play one-on-one defense at a, at a decent level or else it's going to be hard to play him. Because mm-hmm. defensively, I mean, obviously a help defense is not going to be a problem because as Brandon pointed out, he's an incredible uh, IQ guy. His help defense is, great, is really good. But... Like, listen, if you're going to turn him into something he's not, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you take him. I think you play him for what he is, and you just you roll with it. He's a good player already. But why, why screw with that? Uh, anything else on Grant Williams, or should we move on to somebody who we can all in harmony probably not like that much? I'll put you both on the spot here with Grant. Let's say he stays in the draft. Where does he eventually end up getting picked? And uh, I guess leaning into Zona's philosophy here, what what would be a great team for Grant Williams to get picked to, guys? Uh, Zona, you jump in first. Hmm. I would say maybe like Brooklyn. I think they're picking 17th. Uh, a team like Brooklyn or San Antonio even. Yep. But we, we know like the, whoever the Spurs will draft will just turn into a star. So I'm <laughs> terrified that they're picking 19th. Yeah, that's the safest answer ever. Give him the Spurs. <laughs> uh, I'll go with the second safest answer ever, which is give him to Boston. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, he needs to go to a smart team that knows how to use them. That's basically And it. they've got mm-hmm. plenty of picks. No matter what zone he kind of ends up falling into, they'll probably have a chance at him, Max. Yeah, they're probably the betting favorite to get him because they just have a 7,000 pick. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to Romeo Langford, a 19-year-old freshman from the disappointing Indiana Hoosiers. He's about 6'5". I've seen 6'6". He's in that range. He's 196 pounds. He's a guard. With about a 6'11 wingspan, he'll be 20 in October. David, where is he going in mocks? He is the direct opposite of Grant Williams, Max. He's probably the most pigeonholed prospect uh, in the draft other than maybe Zion Williamson. Uh, the Stepien have him at 14. Uh, Red hasn't ranked him or, or done a profile on him just yet. ESPN have him at 13. Bleacher Report have him at 12, Ringer have him at 15, Sam Vecini has him at 16, Yahoo have him at 15. So pretty much anywhere you look, everyone has Langford either sneaking into the lottery or, or just sitting outside of it, guys. All right, Brandon, what do you think? Romeo Langford. Uh, I'm 
I don't want to be harsh here, but I'm I'm not high on him at all. I just I think the last, especially for the Suns, like the last thing this team needs is an uh, underdeveloped wing that can't shoot. Um, and my wor- biggest worry with him, like he's he's pretty athletic and like he's I want to say he's the most explosive, if that makes sense. Um, but he he like has the tools to excel as a defender and slasher. Yeah. But outside outside of that, like I don't know what role he's going to have and. Like, I don't think he even knows what his identity is. And those are the types of players I, tr- I tend to avoid in general um, because he f- really failed to find himself at Indiana. And if he can't find himself there, like, I think he, he could have used another year of college to develop, but we all know that's not happening. And um, I will give him this benefit of the doubt. He played most of the season with a torn ligament in his shooting hand. Yeah. Um, it was his thumb, I believe. And so it kind of threw off his – he used it as an excuse and, like, a valid one at that for his poor – uh, shootings had it impacted his mechanics, um, which thank God because it looked it looked really awkward at times and just kind of painful, like um, off the dribble. This this is the low section, Max, where you know Zona should uh, go all in on saying why he's low on on Romeo Langford. So <laughs> so don't be uh, too afraid there, Zona. But I pretty much agree with everything that you say, and particularly with the thumb injury. I think he shot twenty seven percent from three, uh, and. You know, I I think that's an excuse rather than a reason. I think before college, he even has. I think there's plenty of stats to suggest that he was still a sub thirty percent shooter from NBA range. So yeah, I think whilst the thumb injury is a thing that happened, Max, uh, I think it's a little bit more of an excuse. And and everyone that you kind of read about this guy thinks that it it still needs a full mechanics overhaul. Yeah, I'm I'm a little. I don't want to say I'm a higher than you guys. Well, I totally agree that the Suns should not touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. Yes. <laughs> this, this is not a player for the Suns to take. But it wouldn't shock me if, you know, in the year 2025, we're talking about Romeo Langford, all-star guard. Like, that wouldn't shock me. He, there are some traits there that are all-star-ish. He's, you know, he's athletic. He is pretty good around the rim. He has a nice two-point percentage. Like, there's some things about him I like. I think his shot... Well, yes, it's never really been effective. And I, listen, I don't, I don't want to comment on the injury things. I have no idea, but it looks kind of good to me. Like the form looks good. Yeah, so I wouldn't be shocked if he becomes a good three-point shooter. But he doesn't pass. Uh, he doesn't really do anything else. So he's gonna have to be like a superstar scorer to be a good player, or you know, a star player in the NBA. I guess maybe he's a sixth man if he doesn't get there. But like. I'm not really sure why even in this shitty class you would take him mm-hmm. in the lottery. I don't really get it. This, this To me, it's what, here's what I think of Romeo Langford. He's a guy who was hyped out of high school and is in a really shitty draft class, so he's probably going to come out even though he shouldn't. If he was in a better draft class, I don't think this guy comes out of the draft. He should be in college again next year. There's really no reason for this guy to be in the NBA next year. So... Uh, for the for the Suns, like really no reason for him to be there. Like if a team is totally blowing things up and rebuilding, I guess maybe. But it's even still, like ugh, I don't know. <laughs> I totally agree. And I, I have a quote from an NBA executive on him actually that uh, like says pretty much he's still one of the most talented players in the country. Uh, I just think from an NBA perspective, he's probably not as ready to go as maybe he was thought to be before the season, which I just completely agree with. He's, it's gonna it's gonna be a project. Yeah, I think offensively, Max, as you said, he, he's pretty good, if not great, around the rim. Um, shout out to Sam Vecini, who tweeted in January um, that he was, you know, 
plus 70% finishing around the rim in the half court on guys with 50 or more attempts. I touched base with Sam and, and got him to confirm where that kind of finished to end the season. And he was 63.6% around the rim in the half court for guys with 100 attempts or more, which placed him at 78th out of 454 guys. And the majority of the guys above him were big men. Um, and centers max so if he's got one elite skill going into the nba that's probably it and then you know i think there's some hope for him as a, an on-ball defender particularly with his frame and his wingspan and uh the kind of uh, ability to get a little bit switchy through multiple positions if he's locked in but yeah i i couldn't agree more with both of you in terms of he's probably a guy that should go back um or should have gone back um, and it really all comes down to the shot, whether he can unlock some potential there for him. But uh, he is nicknameless, which is pretty fitting because there's <laughs> there's just not much uh, to to tie yourself to with with Romeo Langford other than the obvious kind of nicknames around his actual name and things. So if anyone listening has something, I'm I'm opening it up to everyone and happy to turn this one over to the people to to go with a nickname. I, I hope to have a nickname for everyone when I post a big board. So uh, if anyone's got any ideas, please feel free to throw them my way. I think the key point about this guy is that not only do we say it makes no sense for the Suns, but there's there's no way the Suns drafted this guy. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. It makes no sense. So it's almost uh, not worth talking about him anymore. But Brandon, I'll let you close on that note. Anything else about Romeo? <laughs> um, I've done a lot of scouting reports, and like, uh, and one of the things I do for just uh, NBA role is like one of the things on the top that I, he's the only one. I just have three question marks there. Like, I, that's just kind of where I'm at with mm. him. Like. I totally think uh, I agree with you. Like in 2025, he could be an all-star. Wouldn't surprise me, but I think it's just going to be a really slow process, and he's going to need the right uh, development to get there. Yeah, I guess in like some weird, bizarre world, I guess he does have technically more upside than Grant Williams. But like, I wouldn't yeah, draft him over Grant Williams ever. So it's like, how much <laughs> does that really matter? Uh, yeah. All right, but anyway, so that's good. We can go ahead and skip the rest of him because I actually have a pretty good seven seconds or less segment for you guys that we should spend some time on. Let's do it. All right. Seven seconds or less is a segment where one of us asks the other and the guest three questions for which they have seven seconds or less to answer. But you you know what? We're going to give you more time on this one because I have some uh, difficult questions. This is all about combining this year's class with last year's class. We'll start with David. Just give the guest a break because this is, this is going to be hard. Uh, we'll start with this question. So let's take the guys we discussed today. Off the top of your head, in what range in last year's 2018 class, the Aiton class with Luca and all those guys, what range would you have had Garland, Williams, and Langford each? That is a difficult question, Max. You weren't lying about that. Um, I think it's a great... I can see where you're going with this. I think it's great with all of these guys because they're all going to slide back significantly. Starting with Garland particularly with the injury stuff. Um, there wasn't a hell of a lot of point guards in, in last year's class either, so that may have helped him out a little bit. But I think you know where we're talking about him maybe being top five, we'd probably be talking about him being late lottery, in my opinion, with, with Darius Garland. Grant Williams is a really interesting one because if we're talking about him maybe falling out of the first round in this draft, it, it who knows? Because you know, it was quite deep last year. We'd probably talk about him in the... You know, DeAnthony Melton mold to talk about a son or maybe a Mitchell Robinson, where a lot of smart draft Twitter people thought that this guy should go a hell of a lot higher than what he 
ended up going and, and therefore someone getting a steal in the second round. So that's what I could see with, with Grant Williams. And I'm just going to piggyback off your point that you ended with Romeo Langford in. I just don't think he's in this draft last year, Max. I think he has a much more people in his ear to go back to Indiana and, and come back the following year as a hopefully more complete prospect, Max. Brandon? Yeah, you bring up some great points. Uh, you know, with Garland, I probably have him, I would say after like uh, SGA, kind of in that area, yep. just like the late lottery. Um, Jerome Robinson, like I'd probably take him over Jerome Robinson. That's round where I'd be, um, which he went 13th, I believe. Yes. Um, and then Grant Williams, um, I would put him with your boy, uh, Landry Shamet. Like, I think he's kind mm-hmm. of in that, uh, Jacob Evans area too, like the late first round, um, maybe early second, kind of near like the, uh, the older guys like Brunson, Javon Carter, yeah. kind of in that area. And then Langford, I, I agree with David. I, I don't even think he would, if he was smart, he wouldn't declare, but, uh, if he did, he'd probably be a second rounder. Brandon, I assume you mean you put him where Shamit went, not where he should have gone. <laughs> yeah, where he went, for sure. He should have been a lot higher. Max, than... what what pick was Shamit? I know you know this off the top of your head, surely. The 26th pick in the 2018 draft. There you go. There you go. Um, let's, so same question, but I'm going to ask you about the big three we discussed earlier. Zion, RJ, and Morant. Where would they have gone in the 2018 draft for you, David? Uh, okay, I... I assume we're we're removing any, um, I guess, bias about knowing what yes, happened. Nothing, nothing about what happened. Yes. Yeah, just, just, just prospects. Because yes. yeah, okay. I think the I've seen some interesting discussions around if you did know what Luke has done in his first year, where you would pick Zion. Which I think I differ from most people on that one. But in this one, I would probably pick Zion above Luka Doncic just as pure prospects. Uh, even though I loved both, um, and. Oh, that's a t- it's a real tough one for me because, yeah, I probably would go back and forth on it, but I'd end with Zion as the number one pick. Um, next, we have RJ Barrett, I suppose. Uh, he would fall, definitely, just because that first, you know, eight to ten picks in the last year's draft were, were so solid. But, um, you know, thinking about how I had them ranked last year, I could see myself falling into RJ maybe before the Bridgeses, Max, um, maybe slightly after by the, when all is said and done, not to sit on the fence too much there. And Ja Morant, oh, that is really tricky. I'm glad Zona brought up SGA before because, you know, everyone listening to this knows that I love SGA. There's absolutely no way that I would pick Ja Morant over SGA in last year's draft. So I guess that probably puts him around the late lotto stage for me, which I know I'll probably get a little bit of hate for, but I'm going to stick with that one. Okay. Um, this is a good question. Uh, so for me, Zion, I'd put him first as well. Yep. Um, just, there's just so much to like, you know, just the two way threat. He's, uh, he's a plus on both ends. And I just, I can't pass up on that type of uh, upside. Yeah. So, and then with RJ uh, at number seven is where I'd probably start to think about him. And like in that seven and nine range, um, I'd probably take Wendell over him, but um, I'm not a huge fan of Sexton or Knox. So, and they went eight, nine. So I'd probably have him somewhere like eight or nine mm-hmm. um, overall. And then for Morant, uh, this is tough. 
I probably have him right up there with uh, SGA and Mikel. Um, it just really depends on the like like I've said in the past, just what team's picking, what kind of guard they're interested in, uh, what the, what their preference is between Jaw or SGA. But um, yeah, I have him like in the probably late lottery. I think this will probably be the easiest of the three. So, but it's still kind of hard. So take the Suns. I'm gonna there's four rookies, but I'm gonna call them three. So take Aiton. Mikel, and then Melton slash Akobo, pick your favorite. And the question I want to ask for you is, would you trade each of them for your favorite player at the position in this 2019 draft? So basically, would you trade Aiton for your favorite center? Would you trade Mikel for your favorite wing? Would you trade Melton or Akobo, whichever one you like better, for your favorite guard in this draft? That is tricky. Uh, I guess I could probably make it quick. I don't think there's a center I would trade... DeAndre Ayton for in this draft. Uh, I'm not all that high on the wings, even though there's some great role players in this draft. I think I'd probably keep McHale over all of them, even though I've got someone like RJ Barrett at number two. There's just far too many question marks there, uh, particularly for what the Suns need and and what I want the Suns to go with. Uh, The last one's the interesting one, I guess, uh, as someone who started pretty low on Darius Garland and even you know, is still quite high on Ja Morant, even though I think he's going to take some time. Um, you know, the the upside there versus, I would say, Melton is my favorite out of him and Okobo. Uh, you'd, pr- you'd probably have to roll with that one, Max. How about you, Zona? Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I don't see... There's, there's there not a ton of great centers in this class, so Aiton's, keeping Aiton is pretty easy. Um, and then as far as Mikel, um, that's really tough. I, I like... RJ. Um, part of the reason I don't love his fit in Phoenix is because Mikel is here. So if they uh, replace him with Mikel, like that's that's intriguing. So I I might just from an upside play consider taking RJ over Mikel. Um, mm-hmm. And then last uh, point guards um, in this draft. Yeah, I, I think I would probably go with uh, Garland just from an upside play as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I might just trade Melton for yeah. uh, Garland. So I think I'm with you on that. But I think that's it for us. Brandon, go ahead. Uh, plug whatever you want. Twitter account, everything else. Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at AZ Sports Zone. Um, we'll be sending out the trophies for the, the Sunnies Awards. So check, <laughs> check your mail. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of your pod. I'm not going to check my mail because there's not going to be anything there. <laughs> yeah, you, you, guys s- got the, you got the Zonies, remember? You, uh, oh, yeah, you saved on postage to Australia there, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, I, I actually <laughs> had you guys in the original tweet. I just ran out of characters, right? Uh, <laughs> you, you won the that's award, fair. right? That's fair. <laughs> it's Twitter's fault. I agree. <laughs> Uh, as far as we go, please, as always, rate, review, subscribe. It very much helps. David, this is fun. It was very fun. We've got one more episode in this style, which will see us cover most of the lottery prospects right now, Max, and then we'll have the lottery. It's, it's on our doorstep, and we've got some exciting episodes lined up post-lottery, Max, and no new reviews last time I checked, but we did get quite a few new five stars in Australia and the US after last week's episode, so... Just don't forget, guys, reviews are great for us too. We love to read them with the feedback, and uh, as long as they're not too harsh on us, we we love to read them out on the pod as well, Max. But yeah, thanks again to Zona, one of my newest favorite follows on Sun's Twitter, and uh, glad we could have you on. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody.